65,498 square miles. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. This is Spanning the State. Here's your host, Kristen Bry. Happy Friday. Today we are heading all the way up to Hayward, over to Potosi, and covering topics from college savings accounts for kids to polka. And joining me today as my guest co-host is Corey Jo Biddle, Vice President of Community Affairs at the MMAC and Executive Director of Fuel Milwaukee. Hi. And my friend. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Corey. Hi. Um, so you're, this is the first time you've been on WTMJ. Your it boss, is. your old boss, Tim Sheehy, yep. has, is on a lot. Your new boss, Dale Coenga, also starting to be on a lot. So welcome to WTMJ. Yeah, now I, I feel like I fit into the club now. I'll be able to go up there in our offices and brag and say, I've done it too. Because we're neighbors. We you, are. You, you guys are right next to us. Yep, yep, in this great space. And I know, really. The avenue is, it's a very sexy downtown office. It's dynamic and it's so smart. And I'm just, I'm proud that it's working. So I'm excited because later on the show, we're going to talk more about what you do at MMAC as far as talent acquisition, retention, how we get smart, talented people to move to Milwaukee, stay in Milwaukee. And sometimes that includes passive, passive talent, passive talent, (laughs) also known as poaching. Poaching. So we're going to talk about that later. (laughs) But, uh, if you you have kids, I have one kid. Yep. Did you set up a savings account for them when they were first born? Not when they were first. I intended to, and it just I blinked, and ten years had passed, and I hadn't done it. And so there's a lot of money potentially that you missed That's out right. on because Absolutely. of compound interest. And so coming up next, we're going to talk to Republican Representative John Mako and Democratic Representative Evan Goyke on their bipartisan bill to get every kid in Wisconsin set up with a savings account because. Time passes. The life happens. Interest and so everything. even if you know that there's an account out there that can grow exponentially, sometimes the barrier to entry is too high. Just leave it there. Put $10 in there and leave it there. Come back 20 years later and see what happens. You know, like it's that powerful. But if you forget to do it or you don't know it exists, don't know it exists, you because lose I, out. I think about that a lot. Having a father who worked as a financial advisor. <sighs> so lucky. there's so many things that I knew because he was told me to do it versus if you don't have a parent who is financially savvy you don't even know what questions to ask absolutely and so they introduced a bill called wis kids that would do exactly what i said before was that they're a savings account for every kid in wisconsin and it actually does not cost the state anything anything which that's the part to me that's so interesting that 25 dollars, there's funds that are already there yeah and that it is seems to me like a no-brainer so when we come back we will be talking to uh, Representative Evan Guiki, Representative John Mako. Stay tuned. This is Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry. She is Corey Joe Biddle. A big thank you to Representative John Mako and Representative Evan Guiki coming and joining to talk about their bill, WIS Kids. But if that doesn't pass yeah. Yeah. and it may not because literally I think they may be done. The assembly may be done. State Senate still has some bills that they're going to pass and get through to see what will still get to the governor's desks before the end of this legislative session. But so if this one doesn't make it, like they said, they're still going to keep working on this. The infrastructure for it is there, but it doesn't mean you can't still sign up for a 529 savings account. It's for still your kids. such an important conversation. 
whatever happens with the legislation, they're sparking a conversation and raising awareness. Again, like we don't know what we don't know. And now it's out there for people to be thinking about and starting right away, starting right away, right now. And I didn't know the timing of this because obviously I've known for a week or so that you were going to join me on Friday. But as we were doing our show prep for the day, you said MMAC is having a public event on this very topic. So the one of our programs, our community engagement programs is called Fuel Milwaukee. So it'll be a a mix of professionals, mostly young professionals at this mixer. It's a mix and mingle mingle at Gibraltar. And Ed Vest is going to be there talking about these plans because this is the group of people who are most likely thinking about this right now. They're having kids, they're they're planning for education. And I think that's one thing we didn't really touch on, all the things you can use this money for. Well, especially, I think this is the first year it can roll over into a 401k. Mm-hmm. And so if you end up not using it for college, you can still use it for retirement. But also, the it's not just a traditional four-year no. school. It can be... A, Four well, years. Uh, Representative year. Marco said something about tr- like trucking schools, schools, beauty uh, school, beauty school. So I mean, your kids are going to do something, and it's just a great tool to set them up to not have the stress that everybody's talking about right now. But the stress of paying for an education—it's just that one extra step to set them up. Absolutely. And so the events at Gibraltar. It's at Gibraltar, um, and it is—it's open to the public. It's. It's meant and intended to be, we call it a purely social because that's what it is. It's meant to be a casual mixer just for people to connect and meet with other folks that work at other companies and in other industries. But this shared information around, and it's, it is a passive kind of thing. They're going to tell you a little bit about it. You'll take away some, some pamphlets and information, but the timing is, is great. If you go to our website at MMAC.org, you can register. It's called the purely social at Gibraltar. And it's, Next Thursday, okay, the 29th. Um, leap day. Yes, yes, leap day. Last day of Black History Month. We've got an extra, extra day of Black History Month <laughs> this year. So we'll be at Gibraltar uh, from 530 to 830. And what are some of the other events that Fuel does? Well, you know, well, we do a lot of professional development. So we just came out of a week-long um, conference called Professional Development Boot Camp. But all, everything that we do is really about making people more engaged and fall more in love with being in Milwaukee. So a lot of our members are from Milwaukee originally, but a lot of them got recruited here because of a job. Passively? They were poached (laughs) (laughs) from another city. And how much of that is what you work on is, is giving member companies of MMAC the tools to get people excited about moving to Milwaukee. Yeah, it's a lot of my my work. So since I've been at MMAC for 15 years, who, that's helpful. who can this say day, that anymore? That's a long that's time. That's a long time. Yeah, I'm an OG already, right? But I, it, it's, it's a lot of what I do. But I say the employers take care of folks from nine to five. After that, you give them to us. And we just make sure that they are making friends, making connections and um, can see the best of what Milwaukee has to offer them as a long-term place to call home. Well, that sounds like a fun job. It is fun. It is. It's a, you know what? To hype up Milwaukee. As someone born and bred in Milwaukee, you get to hype up I'm your a, hometown. I'm a Milwaukee native, and it's a fun job. Absolutely. Well, we're going to hear more about it later. Coming up, 
Just like the theater, the Berkey must go on. The world's largest cross-country ski marathon in Hayward is underway despite no snow. So when we come back after the news, we'll talk to my childhood friend whose family has a deep, deep tradition of going to the event every year, no matter what. And this year is no different. Snow or no snow, he and his family are racing this year. And so we're going to talk to him as soon as we come back from the news. Reed Cooper, I, I cannot wait. I thought the Berkey was a purse when you first said it. I, I'm going to learn a lot right Bur- now. Birkin? Birkin? That, that, I just thought it was a nickname. <laughs> I mean. All right. Citing Unlimited WTMJ News Time 1.30. ABC News and local headlines are next. back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry along with Corey Joe Biddle. And our next guest I have been friends with since middle school. The only reason I know what the Birkenbeiner is is because of him and his family. Because our family, not big. We were big in basketball. We were not big cross-country skiers. But I just remember this being a big thing for their family, and they would go every year. So as soon as the news came out that the 50th annual Berkey was absolutely not canceling due to no snow, I knew I wanted to talk to him because... The whole Cooper family is going to be there. Reed Cooper, thanks for making time for us. Hey, how are you? I got the got the Berkey fever over here. <laughs> I, are you? So you're all packed up. You're ready to go. Where in Wisconsin are you right now? We're, we are. Uh, I'm, I'm driving up with my brother Burke, um, who is uh, ironically named after the race. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the only years my my dad missed doing the race uh, was when my brother Burke was born. So I'm in the car with him. We're driving up. We're an hour away from Hayward. Um, it's a strange drive because there's no snow anywhere to be found. So it's unlike any any drive I've ever made for the race. And that's, is it, it I have to imagine it's just a, like a phenomenon where you feel like this is unlike any time we've ever driven up here to just see everything be brown. It, it really is, and, you know, I, I can't ever remember a time driving up uh, from Madison or, or Milwaukee that there hasn't been snow um, uh, on the drive up. It's hard to believe that they're even even able to pull it off this year. Um, you know, I'm glad they are. It, it means a lot to a lot of people in Wisconsin, uh, families like ours that have been doing this for, for a long time uh, since we were kids, kind of jumping in the car with, with our parents and driving up and kind of being part of of this race that is one of 20 in the world, uh, the only one in in the U.S., uh, and to be able to have that in Wisconsin uh, and people travel from all over the world and and the U.S. to kind of participate in it is a pretty cool thing. So it's lucky that they're still able to do it. Um, My dad finished his 39th race yesterday. He did the open track, um, and he said it was very bizarre because you're skiing uh, on a 10k loop, and everything around you is is just barren. That's so. That's such a strange experience. But you said he had a pretty good time. He did. He, uh, my dad beats beats me quite handily every <laughs> single year, and he's 69 years old, so he still has has bragging rights. Uh, he finished in just over two hours uh, for the 30k, uh, the 30k race, and you know I. I marvel at him every year it's inspiring actually for me uh, and my brothers that he's able to kind of keep going year after year and do it it's the reason kind of we got into it just to be able to go up with him and spend time 
but he also lets us know every year that uh, you know he's he's still uh, he's still like the top dog in the house. <laughs> how how long does it take you and your brothers to do it? Well, that's that's a, that's a great question, Kristen, because <laughs> it, I, I've had I've had in a normal year I've had everywhere from four hours and and forty minutes all the way to seven and a half hours. Uh, we like to say we are we are nowhere near the Olympians that come in and, and do it. Uh, but of the seven thousand people, we we make sure we finish. Uh, and, and time is just a minor detail. So how did you even train this year? Because there's no snow. Did you go buy a Nordic track? I, I, this will be the, the race tomorrow uh, will be my first time on cross-country skis this year. Um, it is not something I recommend doing, uh, but it is just unfortunately the, the reality of the situation. So, you know, luckily stay, stay fit enough through the course of the year. Uh, it, it's it's not a, a preferred training method, but it will have to do this year. And I'm just glad it's a, it's a shortened 30K uh, race instead of the full 50. So have you made any international friends over the years? Like, are, are there people you're expecting to see that you know that this is the one time a year you get to see them? Yeah, there, there are. It's more, you know, people from uh, around the Midwest and that kind of travel in to do it whether it's friends that this guy might be the only time I see them during the course of the year. Uh, we have a big get together with a, a bunch of other families that come up and friends that do it. It's gotten anywhere from, you know, as big as 60 people that, you know, this might be the only time you see them during the course of the year. So it's, it's fun to kind of sit around with them, you know, laugh, tell stories, you know, everyone has a unique Berkey experience. Uh, and that's, one of the cool things about the race is it means something different to a lot of different people. Uh, whether you're a first-time recreational person doing the Cordy, the, the half race, or, you know, this is your 20th year of doing the, the full Berkey, everyone's got a kind of a different story to tell and, and kind of trials and tribulations of, of their race experience. Uh, so that's one of the fun things is just kind of getting together. Oh, he's getting, um, he's getting, okay. Laughing and, and uh, telling stories together. And do you guys ever wear outfits? Do you ever have some fun outfits? Because I know that's part of some people dress in costume. You know, it is. Uh, I like to say back where, where we're doing the race and the time that we're coming in, it's kind of like the fun the fun wave. Uh, I've had a friend wear a full cow outfit <laughs> doing the, the race. I've had a friend that... Uh, you know, kind of went down to basically a swimsuit uh, coming up Main Street uh, to finish. So you see a lot of different things back on the, the back end of the waves than you do with the elite waves, uh, where I've got friends that do that as well. But it's a, it's a different experience uh, as you get farther back in, in, the, in, the, in the race. Well, and I have to imagine this year will be an even bigger, different experience. I can't wait to hear how it went, what it was like. Hopefully next year it's back to normal. But Reed Cooper, good luck this weekend. Thanks uh, for spending some time with us. Can't wait to see some pictures and say hi to your parents for me. I will do. Thanks for having me. And uh, go Berkey. Go Berkey. If you want to learn more about the Berkey, there is a great profile in the Journal Sentinel. Text the word Berkey, B-I-R-K-I-E, to the WTMJ talk and text line, 855-616-1620, and we will send you that story. Or if you have a fun story, if you've ever done the Berkey, if you've gone up there, if you know what it's like, we would love to hear from you. 
WTMJ, talk and text line 855-616-1620. This is Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry here with Corey Joe Biddle. So you like the snow. Love the snow. Would Did you know that the Berkey was a thing before today? No, when I, 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 I did not know about it because I didn't have best friends that did this kind yeah. of stuff growing up. No, so I started reading about it when you told me. We're going to be talking about this on Friday. The first five minutes of my research, I was horrified. Because <laughs> you were like, I would never do I this. I would never do this. I went 30 miles in this. It, there's, you, there's no incline. I didn't grow up skiing. There's no gravity to pull you down. Yeah, it's just, you're, it's all core. And I am moderately active, edging on sedentary. So <laughs> <laughs> this is not, no, give me volleyball, give me basketball. Get like Any winter sports? Not not really. Outdoor winter sports, I not, should say. Not, not really outdoor sports. winter sports. But th- the thing that seemed kind of cool about this is when I learned about the Barky. The Barky. But people that go on the path with their dogs i thought that was so cute but i think the fact that it's more of a festival environment mm-hmm. than just skiing now that part because i'm not afraid of the cold i could participate you could party i could party you're like i want to do the social events yes i can be social <laughs> but i won't ski so yeah i'm glad it's still happening and i'm glad that they like had the foresight to preserve the snow so that they could put it back actually and, like, have a, a route yeah like that's how it's happening they like saved some of the snow that we got this year they saved some of the snow and they make and snow. then they made snow there was like truckloads of snow that they put down for the course and so it's typically the the finish line as i understand it, is typically in hayward but the the whole track this time around is in cable wisconsin and i think some of the festivities are still happening in hayward but it's not the the same environment as far as coming across the finish line and having everyone there in downtown Hayward. Yeah, I've just never thought about the economic impact of snow. You know, this re- it yeah. really highlights how much of our our community, our natural environment drives industry and tourism and practice and behavior. So, Have you yeah. spent much time up north? Not not too much. You know, I, what's the furthest north in Wisconsin you've gone to as a Milwaukee <laughs> native? Um, I was dating this guy one time and he's he went to school and he said, you know, you should come come back to my um um, where I went to school and, and we'll go to the bluffs. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to play poker. <laughs> Cause he said bluffs. That's how <laughs> I'm a Milwaukee girl. Like, through and through. I don't know. So did you go though? I did. Yeah. I where was it. it? It was, um, where did lacrosse lacrosse? Okay. So, so that's, across. Not a, that's, that's a cross. Yeah, that's a not cross, but that's, north. it maybe it's a little more North than this, but that's <laughs> as far North as, as I've been. I'm not that I wouldn't go, but just, I'm just a Milwaukee girl. Absolutely. Well, we'll get you, we'll get you out there. We'll get you out on a snowmobile one of these days. All right. Well, coming up next, what does country music, Beyonce, and Wisconsin's state dance have in common? Corey Joe is going to tell us. We're also going to go to Potosi, Wisconsin. So stay tuned. This is Spanning the State on W. 65,498 square miles. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get to it. This is Spanning the State. Here's your host. Welcome back to Spanning the State. My guest host today is Corey Joe Biddle. You're doing great. You're a total natural at Thank this. Thank you. This is fun. I'm learning so much about Wisconsin. I know, because <laughs> you didn't know about the Berkey, and coming up later, you didn't really know much about polka. Uh, I do now. You do now. <laughs> and so uh, the connection between Beyonce to country to polka mm-hmm. is coming up later in the second half hour of our show, Friday, the first Friday. 
Uh, a reminder, you can always watch this show by going to WTMJ.com or you can text the word watch to the WTMJ talk and text line at 855-616-1620 and we will shoot you the link to our live stream. And that's part of the gig now is you don't get to just put a baseball cap on. They We're can all, see they, us they can here? also see you. Yes. All these cameras around you. So good thing that you uh, you dressed up today. Yeah, and I cleaned up a little bit. <laughs> Lipstick and everything. All right. Well, part of the Part of this show, as we were talking during the break, because I'm so excited that, that you experienced a little bit more of learning what yeah. the Berkey is, yeah. and we uncovered that the furthest north that you've gone in Wisconsin is, is La Crosse. La Crosse to La Crosse. I'm not sure. There's always an <laughs> argument of what up north means. Yeah. Mm-hmm. La Crosse is not on there. <laughs> La Crosse and no one's definition <laughs> is considered up north. And, and so we got to get you further up there. But part of the reason this show was created was to connect southeast wisconsin to other parts of the state Mm -hmm. for us to learn more about different counties different regions but also for because you can go to wdmj.com you can listen to our podcasts you can stream this from anywhere now connecting the rest of the state to milwaukee to southeast wisconsin and so coming up in the next uh in our next segment we're going to potosi do you know where potosi is i i was reading about potosi and i thought where is this in relation to lacrosse? <laughs> Close. It's actually not too far. Yeah, yeah. It's, we're going over to the, the Mississippi River. And so when a brewer, the brewery there closed, it could have sunk the city. But the folks there refused to become another ghost town. So our next guest, Brian Reisinger, will join us to talk about a recent article he had in the Journal Sentinel that connects what happened in Potosi to his deep personal connection to rural Wisconsin. He is a self-proclaimed proud farm boy. And his series that he's been writing for almost a year now in Journal Sentinel is talking about the issues that come up in rural America, rural Wisconsin, and the importance of us in Milwaukee, in cities, us city dwellers, our connection to them, and that it's not a separate big wall of they live a different life, we live our lives here, that they provide our food, they provide... Uh, a lot of our natural resources and it's all, and a lot of the beauty of our state. And so getting to know those stories, getting to know the issues that they're facing is important for all of us to know. To learn. Every, every city is faced with questions about economic development and talent. And it looks different in the city versus rural, but it's the same conversation. Absolutely. So when we come back, we'll be talking to Brian Reisinger on the resiliency of Potosi, Wisconsin. Learn a little bit more about his experience. This is Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry. She is Corey Jo Biddle. And like we said, one of the goals of this show is to get out of Southeast Wisconsin and highlight stories that are happening across the state. And ultimately, a lot of Wisconsin is very rural. It's very a lot of small towns. And our next guest is, in his own words, a farm boy. And he's also a contributing opinion writer for the Journal Sentinel, where he writes about issues in our state's rural areas. Brian Reisinger, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm so excited. We we used to do uh, a segment for Journal Sentinel where we would talk about issues of the day. So I'm excited that since we don't get to do that anymore, I can just have you on the show and continue to talk about things. It's so exciting. And I'm just like pumped to be here in your new world. I'm loving what you're doing. The place looks great. It's outstanding. 
So you, what took you to Potosi, Wisconsin? Because that's not where you're from. You're from outside of like in the Dane County part of rural Wisconsin, right? Yeah, I grew up on a farm about an hour west of Madison, um, uh, Spring Green area, Sauk County. And uh, technically, we would claim Potosi because we're all part of the Driftless region and kind of that part of western or southwestern Wisconsin that uh, that often feels left behind or forgotten. But it's a little bit of a haul out to Potosi, and you got some, some bluffs to travel to get out there. Um, what took me there is I was looking for examples of communities that have defied something that's been going on for decades, which is dying rural communities. And Potosi was a place that was as close to death as any rural community you could probably pick on a map and had overcome it um, in a way that was really, really interesting to me. So I, I uh, got, in the, got in the truck and drove out there to see what's going on, and uh, it was pretty interesting. So what is the story of Potosi? So Potosi um, had a lot of the challenges that many of the rural communities in Wisconsin have had that have been shrinking and, and maybe even reaching the verge of, of death, which is that they had a combination of manufacturing jobs leaving in the late part of the 20th century, combination of farms that were failing, and basically loss of population. Um, there weren't jobs. There weren't farms. There weren't things that would usually give people enough economic opportunity to stick around. So sons and daughters were leaving for the bright lights of the big city um, or moving to other parts of Wisconsin because they just couldn't find the opportunity. And their population was shrinking. They didn't have the kind of economic activity that comes when you got people in a community. And it was really going down the tubes. It was kind of becoming a retirement community where more people are dying than being born. And there isn't a lot going on to reverse that. And so what did they do when you say they were kind of on the brink of becoming a ghost town? What did they do to change gears? Well, obviously, they picked up a Wisconsin classic, which is beer. Uh, they had a brewery that had been closed in the 1970s. This is actually one of the really big things that was a big death blow. And the way that people talk about that brewery after it closed was it looked like a bombed out building from a war-torn country. And it's true. The brewery closed, um, the company left, and people, you know, over the years would pillage the building for things, grab keepsakes, the walls were crumbling, there was rubble all over the ground. And what they realized is that the Potosi Brewing Company had such a long storied history. They said, this is something unique about our identity. And they thought about it not only in terms of economic opportunity and what was working and what wasn't, but they said, who are we as a people? And what do we have here that is unique about us? And they realized that this storied history, there was something to that. Um, so there were a combination of small business people who bought the building, um, local leaders who decided to try to rally the community, um, volunteers, um, donors. Um, they raised millions of dollars just from uh, small contributions from citizens all over Potosi to restore the brewery. And they've built an entire, not only economy, but kind of culture and ecosystem around this thing that had once been, you know, for naught. Well, I, I think it's so interesting when I was reading the story, and it was a it was a beautiful story, and I was glad to see the uptick. How long has it been since that uptick has been in place? And what about the young people who aren't leaving necessarily because the jobs left, but because they just don't want to be um, in a rural community anymore? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So they got the brewery going again in the early 2000s, and I think what that shows is that it's not about any one moment, right? The brewery coming back is such an important thing economically, culturally, symbolically, but they had to keep going beyond that. So they still have people who are working hard. I mean, you go and you talk to current and former village officials or local folks in Potosi, 
they're working as hard at bringing a small business into downtown Potosi as you would see the greater Milwaukee area work to bring in a, a huge employer with thousands of jobs. They view it as that important. They're fighting for the life of their community. And so it, it really kind of started with the brewery and was really the brewery's emblematic of it, but it's ongoing. And it's about the community's identity. It's about entrepreneurs. It's about volunteers. It's about everybody trying to build toward this one common goal. And it's pretty remarkable to see any community head in one big direction like that. Um, that's what I thought was really interesting about Potosi. Um, but you touch on another issue, which is that it's not only because of lost economic opportunity, but like some people want to be in rural areas, some people want to be in urban areas. There's a reason that our population has changed so much, and there are so many communities that struggle with this. And that's where COVID came in uh, for me. I found it very interesting that, you know, statistically there are rural areas that are now growing because you've got an urban workforce that can live, in some cases, can live anywhere and still be working their urban jobs. And you have a rural workforce that's continuing to live or maybe seeing more ability to live in places like Potosi and work remotely for companies. And so the fact that, you know, COVID, you know, catastrophe, terrible situation that it was created that silver lining is very interesting where there are a lot of people who left places like Potosi because they want to live somewhere else. But there's also a lot of people who left or didn't feel like they could stay because they couldn't see the opportunity. And so now it's being paired with more opportunity, more of that flexibility and Chelsea at one time was really coming against the grain, making themselves a tourism community from a dying community. And now you've got that paired with the fact that there are more people moving back to rural areas or more people seeing that they have the ability to stay in rural areas and still pursue the other opportunities that they need in their life. Our guest is Brian Reisinger. Brian, why, why is this so personal for you? Oh... It's personal because I am trying to be part of the solution and I myself am part of this exact problem. So it ties back to something that has really been a big journey for me personally. Um, I grew up on a farm, as we've mentioned, and I grew up working with my dad since I could walk. And um, I did not have the talent for cattle and tractors that my dad does and that my sister, who's taken over our farm, does. And I grew up for a long time feeling like I didn't fit in and needing to find, you know, where else could I thrive and I ended up pursuing a writing career and took me a lot of different places. But, you know, I'll never forget the hurt in my dad's face when we were on vacation in Nashville, Tennessee. And I turned to him and looked at him and said, I think I'm going to live here someday. And he was crushed because, you know, what our parents want is to have their, you know, they want their kids to be happy first and foremost. But if they can be happy and be near, um, that's something that they uh, obviously really love and cherish. And I went away for a number of years. I came back to Wisconsin. And now I uh, live splitting my time between Northern California, where my wife's from and where her job is and where my work and writing and family are back in Wisconsin. I'm fortunate to have a mobile enough work situation where I go back and forth. But after having moved away and then come back for a number of years and then moved away and kind of split my time, I'm constantly at battle with myself about this, about whether I'm doing enough to help rural communities like the places where I grew up, the places I believe in. So, Well, when we come back, I want to get more information on how we can help rural communities and also what connects us city dwellers, us, us city folk, to the rest of the state and why we should care about these things. Brian Reisinger will be with us when we come back. This is Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. My name is Kristen Bry. I'm here with Corey Joe Biddle, and we are talking to Brian Reisinger on Rural Wisconsin, rural America, what we need to be doing and thinking about when it comes to, I don't want to say, savings sounds really patronizing. That's not the word that I want to say. How would you refer to this, Ryan? 
Yeah, I think we're talking about rebirth. Um, because the the problem isn't that sometimes certain economic opportunities go away or people need to find opportunity elsewhere, but the problem is that there isn't a rebirth, you know, and trying to find what's that next act for a lot of these places that were maybe based on an older form of an economy or a form of economy that maybe is still here but isn't quite what it once was, you know. That's the way I look at it. Are there other examples you've come across in your writing, in your research, that other communities that are doing this well as far as a rebirth yeah, absolutely. So there are um, uh, there are communities all across the state that are doing this well. Um, I think a lot of communities in Door County have found a way to mm. do this. That sounds like an obvious answer because of tourism, but you know somebody had to think about that. Somebody had to create that, right? Um, when you look at like Baroka, um, you look at um, Paoli um, outside Madison. That's a place where there's like a great beer garden and tons of. Um, really cool small businesses and things like that. They're just, you drive through there and it kind of feels like, oh, all of a sudden there's something going on here, you know? So there's places like that too. Um, I actually had a, a, we did a video about this for the column that was on jsonline.com. Um, so it was kind of related, um, but there's a, there's a bar called Junior's Tavern that is right near the farm where I grew up. And the towns nearby um, are among those who've been shrinking for a long time. And there was a, a guy named Sean Shell who bought what was this old bar that had, you know, kind of some regulars and would get some bikers to come by now and then, snowmobile crew here and there. Um, but he bought this bar and he totally redid it, reinvigorated it. And now it's like a spot for the bikers and the snowmobilers and the hunters and people from out of town and bicyclists. And, like, it's like this, like, really kind of wild hopping place in a kind of almost feels like in the middle of nowhere. And it makes it even better. You know, and so you can you see little kind of glimmers of hope like that. So with the couple minutes that we have left, I want to hammer home why Corey Joe, me, any of us sitting here in our downtown Milwaukee studio, what connects us to rural communities? Why should we be invested in them even though we don't live there? Yeah, absolutely. There are kind of two economies in this country, there's probably a million different economies, right? But if you want to break it down simply, there's rural economy and the urban economy. And the challenge that we have for the urban economy is if the rural economy fails us, um, it really is pretty foundational. So think about where your food comes from. Think about where our natural resources come from, um, whether it's you know food and fishing, whether it's lumber, whether it's mining um, for energy, uh, for metals, um, whatever the case may be. If, if we actually have a full out collapse of the rural economy, the urban economy will collapse too. And that sounds um, kind of doomsday, uh, but, it's, but it's true. We're, we're interconnected. The other reason is the rural-urban divide. And the more that rural areas feel left behind, um, the less able people there are able to see what's going on in the city and feel anything other than resentful about it. And that's just one of many ingredients that are helping to further divide our country. So we need to understand that our two economies depend on one another and that really from a cultural standpoint, um, we need to stop dividing ourselves based on where we live. And I think if we can find a way to continue to encourage more of the rebirth in these rural communities that we're talking about, that can be part of making sure that we have an economy that supports, you know, urban areas and, and also just a, just a healthier state, a healthier country, and uh, something to maybe start to heal some of those divisions, which is probably a whole other show segment, but it's related. Uh, tell us, who's, who's fueling the rebirth in communities like Potosi, like they raised so much money for the initial spark of change in investment in tourism. Is it 
community? Is it foundations? And is there anything yeah. that we can be doing to support that? Absolutely. That is such a great question because I think a lot of times people assume that when that happens, it's maybe because of like a huge government grant or something like that. And there's certainly a place for those things. But the amazing thing that happened in Potosi is, so they raised like $4 million some odd dollars in the first run um, to be able to, to do this. And more than half of that came from small local contributions. There was, there was foundations and other stuff, but like no taxpayer money went toward it. Um, and, and there was a big chunk of like money from like large foundations, but there was a, a as big or even bigger chunk that just came from people throwing five bucks in the jar, you know? And I think that what that ties back to is that the most important thing here is an idea. They had an idea of what their identity was and ought to be and everything else flowed from there. Brian, one more question in 10 seconds. Your country music fan thoughts on Beyonce. Oh my gosh! You know I want <laughs> not to hear not too long for ten seconds. <laughs> we gotta let yeah, you go, Brian. I want to hear her cover. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry here with Corey Joe Biddle, oh! and while we don't do a lot of pop culture on this show, and we won't. Sometimes pop culture does relate back to Wisconsin. And somehow, Corey Joe, you found this connection because if you are un- unaware, Beyonce is coming out with a country album. Yes, She's she dropped is. two songs. And tell me the rabbit hole you went down because of this. I'm exposing my mind. I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but this is this is how it went. So. The announcement is made that Beyonce is doing this country album. And of course, some people love it. Other people don't. Her mother takes to social media to say, look, we're from Houston. Country is in this woman's roots. You know, she loves music. This is not odd. This is not a reach. So I start thinking, what if I was a pop icon from Wisconsin and I was going to switch it up and do something different that was related to the state I'm from? I really thought that. I love that. That's what I thought. And but so you didn't I know. I didn't know. I had no idea. And it made me Google uh, what Wisconsin music has roots in other places. And polka came up. So look. Polka. 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 Beyonce, I, now I think Beyonce should do a polka album. This is, I mean, she she kind of, I mean, back off. Beyonce. She could. It's Let's my, be honest. It's she could if she wanted she to. She could if she wanted to. Uh, polka is the soundtrack of Wisconsin. Which is something I did not know. It's our state dance. And it's our state dance. So, uh, there we go. So, the more I learn about polka, the more my childhood starts to make sense to me. Okay, so explain more about that. Okay. Elementary school, picture it. I'm eight years baby old. Baby Corey. Baby Corey. Eight, well, you know, eight, eight years old, baby Corey. We're in gym class, and all of a sudden, we're learning polka dance. And I get paired with Greg Zielinski, <laughs> who was who was on the student council with me, and we're going to learn polka. And it, we didn't know what we... We went from doing, like, crunches and climbing the rope to, like, the next session was like, okay, now we're going to learn polka. And it just... The transition didn't make any sense to me until now. So Greg and I had to get uncomfortably close to each other's faces... <laughs> what we lock hands with one set one hand hands. up he puts his hand on, on the, your waist on the back on okay. the yeah and then to my left and to his right and we just start polka dancing and 
this is actually a good time if you want to watch and text w, uh, to the WTMJ text and talk, uh, line and watch us pretend to polka. Uh, 855-616-1620. This is probably a good time to actually watch us. So you we're learned dancing. how to polka. And we're, is that the last we're, time you did polka? Probably not. Okay. I think after we learned it, because it's like, who stole the kishka? And, and like, we're, we're kind of like laughing and playing and it's like roll out the barrel that i still don't know what a kishka is but it was delicious because somebody stole it from <laughs> the butcher and i'm thinking as a kid what's in the barrel that's gonna make things so why are fun. we rolling it out what are we we like there was no connection we didn't make the connection as kids but it is so much a part of my childhood but you didn't know what it was actually know. why why was why? this introduced to you so, they never threaded that needle you know what and i, I was thinking they, they should have threaded the needle i was eight they probably did and we just weren't listening fair so you know all of these our roots and our connection to eastern europe and to pol j- j- yeah polish people check all this it's the roots are so deep and here i am a little black girl from the north side of milwaukee learning the polka and i and it's it's a vivid memory and i love it and it spans Wisconsin. It that's, spans Wisconsin. That's how this is how it started. But that's that's how I got there. My best polka story. So my brother had a very extravagant wedding in Positano, Italy, and mm-hmm. the woman he married was very international. They had traveled lots. So this is a wedding that was beautiful at an unbelievable villa, looking over the Mediterranean Sea. It was a black tie event. Mm. There were people from. Everywhere from China to Mauritius to Europe. And then there was a lot of Wisconsin people. Of course. (laughs) And the plan for my brother and his dance with my mom, they were going to trick people. So we're, you know, everyone's in tuxes and gowns. And my mom's, that's the last time I think I've seen my mom in a dress that that was this expensive. (laughs) And they start playing, I think, a pretty cheesy, typical mother-son type song and Mm -hmm. they're slow dancing together and about 30 seconds in it changes to roll out the barrel (laughs) and my brother and my mom start polka-ing are in in front of the entire guest list and everyone from wisconsin started cheering (laughs) and everyone from overseas like especially i think my uh my sister-in-law's chinese relatives were like what what is this is this And so we we did. We rolled out the barrel there. And so that's... Uh, we love it. We love polka. It's part Just of us. Just don't get hurt while it's, you're doing it. Yeah. A little a little pain is okay. All right. Well, thanks for going on that journey with us from Beyonce to polka. But I do think I would buy that album, a Beyonce polka album. All right. When we come back, uh, Corey Joe is going to tell us a little bit more about what it takes to work on attracting and retaining talent in Milwaukee. This is Spanning the State on WTMJ. Welcome back to Spanning the State. I am Kristen Bry. She is Corey Joe Biddle. Yes. We're going to polka after this. <laughs> You'll find a, a polka dance dance hall later today. I'm gonna Google Kishka. So I can Actually, know. I think someone texted in. They said it's a blood sausage. It's, have I you bet. had blood sausage? I, I I don't know. Maybe I have. I think you'd know. Uh, <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious know. when you're eating it. You're like, oh, this looks like this there's looks blood like in a it. blood sausage. It sounds delicious. <laughs> uh, so I want to 
at least end on what you actually do at <laughs> MMAC. And because a lot of what you do is not terribly far off from what Brian was talking about as far as getting people to yeah. stay in smaller communities, getting people jobs, mm-hmm. bringing jobs. And Milwaukee, Mayor Chevy Johnson, yep. big, bold goal of a million people in Milwaukee. And so your job is part of that as far as having people move here, having people stay here and helping the different companies who are members of MMAC, teaching them how to do that. Well, so MMAC itself is a membership organization for businesses. So our mission as an organization is to improve the Milwaukee region as a place to start a business, grow a business and to live, work and play. So it's really all about attracting businesses and talent because you need both. So the Potosi story really resonated with me because it's a different vantage point, but it's the same thing that we're doing Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, is this an attractive community for talent? Not just because of the jobs, but because of the lifestyle and what people are wanting and looking for in that live work play kind of arena. So what I do for MMAC is more on the, what I call the soft side of economic development. I'm thinking about what people's lives look like when they're off work and how they're connecting to each other and connecting to um, our community, because those are the things that really make a place home. And then if somebody tries to poach our talent, you know, my job is to make it hard for that to happen because people are having such a great time and they're so connected and they feel so welcome and so included that it's like uh, any other city, they would have to rebuild all of that all over again. And our job is to, help them do it here, make it easier to make those kind of connection, connections, especially if they're not from Milwaukee or Wisconsin originally. And you say the joke about poaching because, as we said earlier, <laughs> Good Karma Brands, yeah. MMAC, right next to each other down on the avenue, and I get to see you a lot more. Yes. And I was walking in, and the sign was out for an event, obviously, mm-hmm. which happens all the time, and I asked you, what's today's event? And you said? It was all about recruiting passive candidates. I looked at her, I looked at you and I said, so poaching, (laughs) (laughs) sliding into the DMs on your LinkedIn, like, Hey, we would love for you to come work here. I don't know if you're looking or not. You know, and they're, and they're not. So that's what one of our audiences are recruiters. So we have young professionals, recruiters, managers, I mean, it runs the gamut, but that day we were, we had a room of, you know, 60 recruiters that were learning and talking about sharing about recruiting passive talent because like 79% of Mm. candidates are passive, meaning they have a job. They're not looking for a job, but 80% of those people will consider an opportunity if you bring it to them. So these recruiters are doing that within the region, but also to talent in other cities when they're looking at really highly skilled talent to bring them into the Milwaukee region and they have to have the right approach. What, or maybe you don't hear about this, but as far as recruiters, companies, when they're reaching out to talent in other parts of the the country, do they have concerns about Milwaukee? Do they not have enough information? What is the biggest feedback from people who don't live here about Milwaukee? Yeah, so we we um, find that people that are from the Midwest already know a lot more okay. about Milwaukee and are you know they're warmer candidates, but people are a little concerned about the snow. Got it. Yeah. So there's there's a bigger hurdle for yes. the, those California folks. That's right. 